Let's say your organization has been hit by a cyber attack and hundreds of thousands of bank accounts have been posted on the dark web. Is your company the victim, the villain, or the vindicator? Hello everyone and welcome to episode 12 of the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host Mark Hoffman and today we wrap up our series on crisis communications by speaking with Diane Chase, President and CEO of Chase Media. Diane founded Chase Media after an award-winning career in broadcast journalism as a news director, anchor, and reporter. In this episode, Diane explains how to position your organization as the vindicator during a crisis and reminds us that communication done well is based on principles that don't change. We'll get into my conversation with Diane right after we hear from my friends at ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Why don't uh, we start off with you just uh, introducing yourself to the listeners and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Mark. It's wonderful to be with you today and with your audience to, to have a good conversation, um, share some insights and some thoughts. My background is in broadcast journalism in my, my former professional life. I was a news director, anchor reporter, and really working, you know, we talk about news stories and they really are stories because stories are the way to connect with your audience. So kind of my grounding in, in that aspect of communication really came from working in journalism where I would take reports and, you know, the latest unemployment statistics and, you know, cases that back in the day when the AIDS epidemic was first starting and I had had an opportunity to actually go and sit and, and talk with someone suffering from AIDS. That brings it all into clarity. It brings it all into focus. It, it connects with your audience. So that's a little bit of that background in terms of my strategic business storytelling and also my love of crisis communication because I was out there interviewing people when you know, they were deer in the headlights or things were hitting the fan and they would shoot themselves in the foot or they would not say anything and look guilty. And, you know, that whole road to ruin is 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 paved by no comment <laughs> because you're automatically suspected of guilt or some sort of misbehavior. Right. If you're not willing to say anything. So it's kind of a marrying of all of those um those aspects of communication that I'm really passionate about in terms of working with individuals, organizations, to help them communicate for success in good times and in bad times. I really like that. And I didn't know that about you. And it's interesting. We have a similar background in a way. Now, I was on the the other side of the glass from you. I was the person who would point at you at the top of the hour so that you could do news. And I, I did the music side of it. But it was a small radio station and every once in a while you had to wear different hats. And sometimes when I had to do news, um, I think 
you know, there's something that gets in your blood about that, right? Something related to the crisis that, that, that kind of drives you. That's very, very interesting. And I hadn't put that together even in my, in my own background. So that's pretty good. It's, it is, um, it's in my DNA. It's probably in your DNA too. When something big is happening, you're like, you want to be there. You want to be communicating about it. You want to be telling people, you know, what's going on. I had FOMO before FOMO was a thing. So <laughs> I was, I was built for, uh, for the news business and, and for communication. But that mindset adds a sense of calm when you're doing it. It's, there's no panic associated with it. It's, Correct. You're thriving in that environment. I know I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are that that voice of calm and reason. And that's, that's what I love about working with clients in terms of crisis communication, planning, preparedness, training, putting, putting individuals, leaders, CEOs, C-suite, boards, whomsoever through scenario-based crisis communication training and crisis management training because when you are really faced with this this situation where you have to you have to work through it you have to communicate through it you have to figure out what you're going to say to whom when how and it has to happen quickly and you know as you know with the internet it's it's not uh, as Warren Buffett said you know running your reputation in in 15 minutes building it for what 30 I think he said 30 years, 35 years, and it only takes five minutes for it to, to be destroyed. Uh, in the age of social media, it can take five seconds for a tweet to go out. Yeah. So um, so that urgency is, is out there like never before. I'm glad you talked about clients and your practice and, and things like that, because uh, in doing research for this interview, I, I got a chance to learn a little bit about you. And you talk a lot about crafting a good business story and you say that people do business with people and they don't do business with businesses. And I can attest to that. I mean, I'm an independent contractor consultant. I have my own very small practice and people hire me. They don't hire my company. You know what I mean? So talk about the storytelling process and the value of telling a good story. You know, it, it really is the most powerful way to communicate. And we are all hardwired to tell stories and to listen to stories. I, I love the neuroscience around it. If you want to geek out a little bit to look into some of that, because they have done functional MRIs where they see what happens in your brain when you are looking at a PowerPoint or you're listening to a data report or whatever, and one small portion of your brain will light up. When that data, when those facts, when that information, which is important, is wrapped in a story, the whole brain engages. And that's what you want. You want people to engage with you because quite frankly, we risk becoming a commodity with what we offer because there are a lot of people out there in our discipline, no matter what discipline we're in, what profession we're in, what industry we're in, that may offer similar or the same sorts of services. And the way to build a relationship and to set yourself apart so that you engage with this new prospect, this client, this customer, this vendor, this stockholder, this board of directors, is through sharing a part of yourself 
establishing a relationship by sharing a personal story to convey a business message. We're talking about strategic storytelling here, and that is based on purpose and engagement. How purposeful are you in your communication? How engaging are you? So how clear are you on your message? And how purposeful are you? So engaging is, is kind of the, the linchpin there because that is where a personal story works. That's where you begin to inspire people to think something, feel something, or do something. Do something can mean sign a contract with me. Do something can mean engage in this new company value. Think something, think differently about a change in your organization. See it as a positive. Feel something, feel something in terms of feeling motivated about being more, more engaged with your team. Feel motivated about success, about achieving a goal. All of those things are really conveyed more successfully through strategic business storytelling. What I like about what you just described is it's it's intentional. Absolutely you talked about purpose and, and so forth of the story. And whether it's strategic storytelling as part of marketing or the launch of a new project or something like that, or if it's crisis communications, mm -hmm you still have to have that same intentional approach. And I really like what, what you've described there. This is these good communications doesn't just happen accidentally. No, absolutely not. And it is a skill that can be learned and it has to be learned, but it has to be practiced. And as I always say, nothing successful ever came from poor communication. I mean, communication is at the heart of anything successful anything good that we can do in business or society comes from good communication authentic communication i love that and i know from looking at your website and from observing some of the things that you do that you like to run practice sessions and what are you looking for when you have people practice being in front of the camera and what do you want to accomplish by that oh gosh you know I'm going to accomplish those uh, those light bulbs I see going off in people's heads after they go through a training or a workshop. It's it's a really gratifying thing, but the goal is to learn how to be authentic, transparent, comfortable, clear, succinct in business messages. And you know when things are really stressful when you're in a crisis or you're facing a risk and trying to communicate about it you have to have that muscle memory kick in because otherwise you're going to be shooting from the hip in an emotional state of mind which is just not where you want to be at all that's where things happen like i want my life back right. um those sorts of those things that come out of people's mouths and you're just aghast, right? And so there's your reputational hit right there from one phrase. And it's, it's, there's so much pressure going on. So the more you train, the more you become comfortable, the more you are aware. One of the big things, especially with media training, presentation skills training is seeing yourself on camera because you notice your nonverbals. And I think everyone is, is probably familiar with 
the power of the nonverbals, how they can they can override the words you're saying. If your tone of voice, your your facial expressions, your personal demeanor, your body is is not congruent with the words coming out of your mouth, your communication is not going to be successful. They have to be aligned, they have to be focused, they have to be they have to be credible. Especially in a crisis. Yeah, especially in a crisis. How do you deal with people who don't like to see themselves on camera? I mean, that's kind of something we have to get over, isn't it? Right. It really is. And, you know, people don't like the way they sound either. Remember, you know, when recordings first came out and they're like, I don't sound like that. And (laughs) I'd say, well, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But we can work on that. What is it that we need to improve about your tone of voice or your inflection, your pronunciation, all of those things that are so important. But it's um, it's just really helping people figure out their strengths and opportunities for improvement. Because you know, many times we are in a in a an organization or, or whatever. Even a meeting, a presentation, we're like, why don't they get it? What is it that I'm failing at in terms of my communication? And it could be something we're totally unaware of. And that is why it's important to be on camera so that we can see ourselves as others see us. And it's, you know, it's a little challenging because it's, you know, reality isn't always pleasant, <laughs> but it's something we can always work on. I know you've helped organizations to communicate things like announcements of major new projects, what I sort of refer to as blue sky day coverage, mm-hmm. you know, when, when things are going well. But you've also worked with organizations during a crisis. So talk about how those two types of communications might be similar and how they differ. Well, you know, they're similar in in the fact that that communication done well is is based on principles that that don't change. So, in my trainings, my workshops, I say these communication skills you can use talking to the media, talking to your C-suite, or talking to your spouse or your significant other. They are basic communication skills. Again, based on uh, logos, ethos, pathos, logic, credibility, empathy. And you can use those skills, that approach, those messaging uh, opportunities in blue sky days, as you say, and in a crisis. And especially in a crisis, you have to be credible and authentic. And you don't want to be the spokesperson or have a spokesperson out there who doesn't believe in what they're saying. If they don't believe in the company message and the response, if they feel, if the audience feels like they are not really bought into what they're saying, that they might be trying to, you know, song and dance a little bit, if you will, Mm -hmm. or schmooze a little bit, um, that's just going to, that's going to exacerbate your crisis. And that reputational damage is going to linger because you've got to be authentic as I say in my trainings, are you can always say three things rather than no comment. With the right person, you can say what you know, 
even if you don't know much at all, something just happened. What you know, in other words, you know something's wrong. So what you know, what you're doing about it, and how you feel about it. And so the how you feel about it makes some corporate counsels go a little, you know, blowing up in the head. <laughs> but it's not admitting guilt. It's saying as a human, back to those basic communication skills, human to human communication is what it's all about in good times and bad times. So talk to me as a human. So something horrible happens. You could say as a father, hmm. I can't imagine the pain. Or, you know, as a, as a person who lives in this community, I care, I've been here, blah, blah, blah. So put yourself in there as a human being and not a corporate entity. Because as we know, in any crisis, in any challenging situation, there's always going to be a victim, a villain, and a vindicator. And who's always going to be the villain? It's the big, faceless business, corporate entity, organization. So you have to put a human voice in that situation if you want to connect with your stakeholders. And it's all about building that. Hopefully you've built a bank of trust and goodwill way before you're facing a crisis because you're going to have to be drawing on that bank of goodwill and credibility. And that means people will, your audiences, your stakeholders will give you the benefit of the doubt because you have built that relationship and you have credibility with them. If you come out of the blue as, you know, sounding like a brochure, like a company, womp, womp, you know, boilerplate, mm -hmm. that doesn't connect with people. It doesn't engage. It doesn't inspire. It just doesn't build any, uh, any trust. You know, I was going to ask you earlier, how does the storytelling weave itself into crisis communications? Because the story is already there. The story has presented itself. It might have been a major cyber attack or some kind of a disaster or something that has happened. The story is in front of us. But you said something without me even asking the question that I think answered it, but I'm going to ask you to confirm it. <laughs> when you said, as a father, I can't imagine this, or as a member of this community, in three, four, five words, you've just told a story. You've just said, as a father, you just told the story that you are also a father and you are also connected to this. Do I, do I get that right? Absolutely, Mark. And what it does, it, it brings that personal storytelling. So again, it's using personal stories to convey business messages, convey messages during a crisis, whatever it might be. And again, when I hear that from someone, when I hear them sharing how they personally feel or a personal experience where they learned a lesson, it was a teachable moment they had, they learned integrity, they learned role modeling, they learned innovation, they learned the value of doing the right thing all the time. When they open that window to themselves, boom, I'm, you know, I'm with them. I'm connected. I want to go back to the, um, the three V's um, in this case, which you just talked about victim, villain, and vindicator. One of the things that I've put in and feel free to tell me I'm wrong because I, I, I love it when I learn stuff. One of the things that I put in the uh, communication strategies for companies when they're responding to a cyber attack mm -hmm. is a statement that says, as they put out their statement, we are the we have become the victim or we are the victim of a cyber attack. Am I wrong to suggest that my client is a victim when when they've been hit by a cyber attack? Would you recommend against what I'm doing? Well, in my view, Mark, I, I see, you know, there's it's an evolutionary 
process, if you will, communicating through a cyber attack, especially. But leading your communication with the fact that the company is the victim, to me, isn't as uh, successful in engaging your stakeholders and, and keeping them with you before they become flamethrowers and, you know, are torching the internet about you. Lead with the fact that those people whose information has been compromised are the victims. And you can build your company story around that. And, and the goal really is don't let the media be the vindicator. The company is the vindicator. So the company to, to step in as the role of vindicator and not victim, because I think the, uh, the empathy bandwidth for big organizations is much narrower than for the general public because we are, we are so exposed and we still feel so vulnerable and we trust big organizations to protect our privacy, protect our information. And so leading with the fact that your your customers, your stakeholders are your priority um, and come in as that vindicator. All right. So let's you know put a bow on this piece of it. So in this case, the data subject, the person whose data might have been breached is the victim. The vindicator is the company. And it is super important to make sure that it's known that the hacker or the bad actor they're the villain in this, yeah, not exactly. the company. Not the exactly. company. Perfect. Absolutely right. I like that. Well said. Um, would you say that's the key message then for organizations to remember? But I know you've worked with uh, organizations that have been attacked. Uh, what would you say is the key message coming out of that then for them? Well, the key message is that um, you got you have to get out in front of it. Um, you have to respond. You know, hearing about these cyber attacks where personal information was compromised, shared, stolen, whatever, months after it happened. It happened, there was a story last week, company here. Um, it happened like last spring and just now talking about it. That, whew, cannot do that. Um, really, really bad for your reputation and your credibility. So get out in front of it. Be, again, as open and transparent as possible. If it was a failure, which you're not going to know the cause or, or the perpetrator out of the gate generally. But if there was a, a misstep on the company's part, own up to it as soon as possible. If not, say again what you're doing about it. Say how you're marshalling every possible resource you can to mitigate the damage, recover the information, and pursue the the villains in this in this case. And then also talk about that, you know, that future forward approach. And here's what we're doing in order to, to shore up our, you know, whatever our IT or whatever vulnerabilities we may have learned about that, um, you know, next time we will be better prepared or more immune to this sort of attack or something. But, you know, realistically speaking, we all know that it's, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when cyber criminals, it, you know, we're going to be hit ransomwares everywhere. And it's, um, it's interesting. I went to a presentation by a, an FBI agent who heads up a cybersecurity unit telling us that no matter what size business we have, mm -hmm. 
we can be vulnerable. They're not just going after the big guys. In fact, we have less protection normally as small and mid-sized businesses than the big guys do. Right. So we are kind of more low-hanging fruit than the bigger organizations. Easier targets, fewer resources. And incidentally, if you're a small or medium-sized business and you still don't think it applies to you, think about your margin of error. A $100,000 Mm-hmm. event, Diane, for you and me and our firms, it stings a lot more than it would be for, you know, a Fortune 500 organization. So absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. And we don't have those banks of, you know, attorneys and investigators and IT folks to respond. No, for sure. You've helped a client, multiple clients that were facing intense negative media coverage because of something they were going through. What advice would you give to someone who might be facing potential reputational damage from allegations that might be floating around in the media? You know, it really is um, situational in terms of the degree of response, Mark, and how you respond. So if it's on social media, you respond in the channel. You don't need to broadcast it across the universe on every channel. But then the goal is to take that, whoever that if person is making the false allegations offline and have a conversation, invite them to have a conversation, get them, you know, get them on a phone call or do something to reach out again, one-on-one human to human communication, try and figure out their motivation. Is it something you can resolve? Make sure that Again, you're you're being proactive, being proactive and monitoring, being proactive and responding. Um, research the person. If the person again is one of those flamethrowers out there with you know 25 followers, probably don't want to engage. So there's that social media aspect. In terms of the broader media, it's really successful to or. To me, it's it's the most uh, credible way of, of trying to mitigate the damage is to have one-on-one meetings with reporters. So I would set up, I mean, it takes time, it takes work, but your reputation's at stake and you've got to get, you know, the media is always going to have, just like they said back in the day, you know, they'll keep printing ink and they'll always have the last word, but um get those relationships, get those one-on-one conversations with reporters going with your CEO, someone in charge, someone in leadership who can speak on behalf of the company and set the record straight and make sure they're media trained because those, those are high risk, but high opportunity situations, high risk in terms of if you go off message, if you, if you let them take you down a rabbit hole and you're, you know, you're completely lost and you never know what's going to be quoted, right? So you have to learn to stay on message. And that means, again, it's not about spin. It's about making sure that your audience, your stakeholders have the right information. And you have to just sound like a broken record half the time. I love that. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, How can people get in touch with you, Diane, and uh, learn more about what you do? Well, I am all about LinkedIn. I mm-hmm. love um, I love engaging on LinkedIn, and that would really be the best place. Um, obviously, my website for more information, 
And then Diane at chasemedia.us. That's perfect. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes so people can uh, find you and make it nice and easy for you. Diane, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I've loved having you as a guest on The Resilient Journey. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was such a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Mark. Huge thanks to Diane Chase, President and CEO of Chase Media, for helping us wrap up our series on crisis communications. As always, I'm thrilled to be associated with Clear Risk, and I thank them for sponsoring The Resilient Journey. Check them out at clearrisk.com. Next week, we're starting a very important conversation about diversity in resilience and emergency management. My first guest on that topic is a man that I respect immensely. Next week, I speak with Vincent Davis, and I promise you it will be one of the most important conversations I'll ever have. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.